Okay, Pasa Mufasa, what's up everybody? Shalom, Salam Aleikum, Konnichiwa, Ni Hao, Bonjia, Bonjourno. Welcome to the Micropreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. I'm out here in Austin, Texas, just wrapped up South by Southwest. First timer, call it South by now, like a local. And today we've got Marisa Sturtz on the podcast, co-founder of Lucid News and the founder and director of Psychedelics and Storytelling, which we're going to dive into today, what exactly that offering entails. As always, thanks for joining us on the podcast. It's a pleasure to host this podcast for you. Appreciate you all. Please never hesitate to reach out, drop me a line. You can find me on Instagram. You probably already know that. And fuck yeah, let's go. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, Marisa Sturtz, co-founder of Lucid News, creator of Psychedelics and Storytelling, which we're going to dive into, and all-around amazing person. How are things in Costa Rica today, Marisa? Things are wonderful. We just wrapped up Envision Festival, which is basically the Burning Man of the jungle. It happened six months away from Burning Man, so um, kind of reeling from from quite an amazing time, uh, but but, you know back on back in front of the computer back in front of the workhorse doing the things it's it's, yeah beautiful times here i had serious fomo i was following people's posts who were down there we you know i know quite a few people who went down to envision and honestly it just kind of popped up on my radar in the last few months i feel like maybe i've heard about it last couple years but like this year it was pretty clear like a lot of people went down there a lot of people i know What's the overall sort of scope of the event? You mentioned the Burning Man of the Jungle. How long have you been involved with, you know, attending Envision? Is it something that you are a regular attendee of? And what's the general impression from the event? You know, I it's the reason what landed me here in Costa Rica. Um, I was I came down 2020, uh, or actually 2019, to help the Thank You Plant Medicine guys who were who were launching this campaign for the first time ever, and they were doing a big event at Envision, and so they said, "Come down, come host." host our panel with Paul Stamets, a bunch of other wonderful leaders. And so that was my first time at Envision. I had no idea what I was in for. Um, it's extraordinary. They're, they're really wonderful. They do a wonderful job of curating top-notch uh, workshops, top-notch DJs, like the most extraordinary light shows, stages, projection mapping, lasers, um, performers, fire dancers, the whole thing. It is like super pro, super pro. Okay, well, I'm definitely setting setting aside some time on my calendar next year to hopefully come down and join you all. And, you know, one of the things that we had a chance to bond about when we met in New York City after the Horizons Conference at the Lucid News after party was that you you actually also went to school in San Francisco and were part of the broadcasting department and the media department there. And I think, you know, San Francisco has such a wonderful independent film culture and it inspired me so much and it inspired so much of the work that I'm doing currently. And I imagine you have a similar story. But one of the things that you're offering and, and diving into right now is this psychedelics and storytelling event that you're putting on or course and I'd be curious to know like what's the genesis of that specific project and what is the arc of it like you know everybody has their own unique approach to storytelling I'm still finding my voice or my perspective as many of us are but you know what what initially got you invested in this very unique and very relevant intersection of psychedelics and storytelling you know, it, it kind of came upon me in the most serendipitous way. I, yeah, I'm a filmmaker. I studied cinema at San Francisco State um, and have been uh, involved in all sorts of facets of it. Um, 
And and it really, when I co-founded Lucid News, uh, there was an opportunity, obviously, to bring some video to Lucid, and I, I was like, okay, let's let's platform these stories, let's amplify these stories of massive transformation that have happened through through working with psychedelics, and I started working with leaders and and helping them in the same way when when you direct a documentary and you're telling a story the story is really told through the narration of uh, the subjects the people that were involved in whatever was happening in in the subject of the documentary and uh, you know you help people really bring out as a director you're like okay so what happened oh and why was this important to you what was the like transformative thing that happened to you why do you care about this why does it matter and so in that same way you direct a subject when you're doing a documentary I started doing that with community leaders in the psychedelic space and asking them what 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 is it about the psychedelic experience that transformed your life um and so basically we did like you know the first season has 28 episodes and um and I, I got to help people understand how to share their story. Laura Dawn, was, who, who does the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast, she was one of my guests. And she was just like, whoa, what you're doing is awesome. Can you bring this to the mastermind um, where, where she's uh, teaching other leaders how to step into their power and share their medicine. Their medicine is uh, their message. Uh, their message is their medicine. And so I offered it there and that took off. And that just started this like, oh, my God, I get to actually share with people how to... Um, understand what is what is the wisdom that they carry how are the struggles that they've encountered in their life actually the fuel for their highest expansion and you know it's like <clears throat> it's this thing where you know when do we stop in life and take inventory of all the experiences and all the meaning we've made from our past experiences it's not really something we traditionally do and yet I'm like hey guys we're all sitting on this massive minefield of gold. You have so many experiences in your life. Have you ever looked back at like how many of them are similar to each other? How many of them are patterns? Like how is your current struggles actually something you've been doing over and over and over again? And guess what? It probably came from some familial, cultural, religious conditioning that you inherited, you know, and like we're baked in this conditioning. And so when we bring our adult awareness to it uh, and, and start to like recognize oh these are limiting beliefs that I got because my parents had them because my caregivers had them you know they're not even mine I didn't you know they, they were just inherited I was just cooked in them so um, it's been a really cool process that's like half therapy half storytelling I, I like to call it the Trojan horse of healing because you know hey it sounds so nice to like what's your story figure out what your story is but actually it's like the most profound deep healing work that when when you work with it in tandem with psychedelics um, it, it's both helping you prime your system uh, to better understand what a, a particular threat of your struggle is, and it also provides you the tools to direct your journey to unpack that and then to set up a new story that you'd like to install during your journey work. It's really exciting stuff. It really is, and it's something that comes naturally, I think, to a lot of people who are curious about the world where you want to record your observations, you want to record your thoughts. And somebody framed it for me in this way, saying that writing or learning to tell your story is learning to think clearly, that when you're writing, when you're capturing things, you're investigating, you're, you're you know, it's a process of inquiry. So we talk about leading up to the psychedelic experience, sort of. But what about for integration? Because also, of course, I think we've talked about this, storytelling can be such a powerful tool for integrating a psychedelic experience. And I noticed that, you know, I was fortunate to go to Peru 
Peru a number of years ago, and I was writing a lot during that period of my life. And I go back and I pour through that journal and I realize, wow, I, I remember very crystal clear details from my experience because I took the time to record them and to tell that story. And it almost unconsciously seeped into the way I talk to people about my psychedelic experiences now is that this isn't just like a top of mind thing. This is something that I sat down with, with a pen and paper. I focused on it and you know, I didn't know it at the time, but it was actually a really powerful tool for integration. So how would you frame storytelling as a tool for integration and how do you teach that? Hmm. So one, one, one real quick hack, like hack that I like to uh, implore people to utilize for integration here. Um, is right after your journey, record, you, like while the medicine is, is beginning to wear off, but n not so much that you can't look at your phone and make sense of it, I invite people to record what's going on. What are, what's the meaning they've made of their experience, all their memories, similar to like journaling it afterwards. Um, I think it's really powerful stuff. But, you know, as far as storytelling relates to it, um, I believe our intention is the most powerful thing. And if we set Let's say, like, let's say our struggle that we're wanting to better understand in a psychedelic journey is around scarcity. You know, so I'm gonna, I have to tell the whole picture of how it all packs together um, with the storytelling. But basically, I want to understand scarcity. I'll create a timeline. I'll look into my history, all the encounters I've had around scarcity, and find what the common denominators are. You know, and it's a story of like maybe I'm not good enough. I don't get things unless I prove my worth, unless I impress my parents, whatever the deal is. And maybe I'm not, I don't feel worthy. And so this is a patterning around abundance, around having. And so my question to what I invite people to do that will help them in integration is to envision what is the most amazing version of you look like when it comes to abundance or scarcity? Can you create and like write a story of what that brilliance looks like? How, how are you living your life? How, how is abundance flowing to you on a regular basis? Um, where is it coming from? What By what kind of work are you doing that gives you like an effortless joy to receive? And then, um, and then so you get really clear on that. Maybe you record even a voice memo of you telling yourself, I'm so grateful for my abundance. I'm so grateful for, for the joy I have when I'm, create, when I'm working and for, for all the ways it fills my and my friends' lives and all the cool things we're able to do with that abundance. So you're creating your, your story that you want to install after uh, in an integration. And actually during the journey, if you're doing a solo journey, to listen to this recording. Uh, like during some of the most deepest parts of your journey and then to listen to it afterwards and to listen to it in the morning when you first wake up and listen to it at night and basically you're creating a new story that you're installing in your system as and, and this is something you know you're programming yourself the same way you were programmed with 20 years of you know people running unconscious programming of there's not enough there's enough not enough we have to struggle you're replacing it with a new program of having this um, and so this is the way storytelling fits as a tool to to create a new story and how you install it super powerful and important information and let's go back to the early days of your first exposure to psychedelics as previously referenced, we both went to school in San Francisco, albeit we didn't know each other at the time. But psychedelics were baked into the legacy of San Francisco. Certainly, you know, uh, USF was right on the hate in a lot of, you know, I would spend my my weekends and my afternoons on hate street and in golden gate park and i learned a lot about the legacy of psychedelics and psychedelic culture and the summer of love and all that i remember going to the summer of love 40th anniversary in golden gate park my freshman year 
And also, I was a member of the media studies department, so I had a chance to kind of have psychedelic experiences and then integrate them into my workflow and kind of build my course of study around that in a very unique way. I imagine you had some similar experiences in San Francisco, but did you have a frame of reference for the psychedelic experience when you arrived in San Francisco, or was that really where you kind of cut your teeth on learning about psychedelics and storytelling? You know, the funny irony is that my chapter in, psychedel- uh, in San Francisco was 10 years, and it was actually fairly unpsychedelic. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. I, I grew up in Las Vegas, and I had a lot of trauma. And I, um, you know, I right around 14, 15, started drinking. Started like, ooh, this is escape from all the social anxiety and nervousness and PTSD that I had in my system. Uh, and I quickly got into cannabis and was smoking weed a lot. And, and then mushrooms at like 15 years old and was working, you know, working. It wasn't working. I was like trying to escape the, tr- the br- like prison of my mind that was so burdened with the trauma and um and i didn't know how to use psychedelics i had some really profound magical journeys i probably worked with like did lsd three four times and had a full-on mystical experience at the age of 18 but um it also magnified a lot of my pain in a way that i couldn't make sense of you know and so it was hard on my system i felt like shit afterwards i had i was like grinding my jaw with mdma and it was just like i would get headaches i didn't feel good about it um, and I didn't understand why, you know, it was like one out of five trips might be kind of cool and, and feel like it was enhancing. And a lot of them were very difficult. And so I, after enough of these like difficult journeys, I was like, all right, dude, I know that psychedelics have something really cool, but I'm going to stick with the booze because there's, it just hurts too much. And so... So I, you know, I mean, once in a while, I mean, by the time I moved to San Francisco, I was like 20 um, or 21 and I went to Burning Man. I did some, I I did some psychedelics at Burning Man a little bit here and there, but for the most part, I was, I was in the rock and roll world. I was like hanging out of the hipster clubs and, and just drinking more than I should and bartending and doing that sort of thing. I did, however, in my San Francisco chapter, um, get to try ayahuasca uh, and, and I thought it didn't work for me. The first time I drank it, I was like, I don't, no visions. Everybody around me was super blissed out and having these like profound experiences. And I passed out, felt terrible, like like food poisoning terrible, and was like, dude, you guys are nuts. And this is 250 bucks, this is so crazy. Um, I tried it a year later and again, didn't think it worked. And about, you know, five or 10 years later, in hindsight, I realized that's when my social anxiety went away. And that's when a lot of the um, angst in my system, at least I could like look people in the eyes after that. But prior to that ayahuasca journey, I was really, really timid and I didn't have any confidence and I thought everybody was better than me and knew better than me. And it was, I really think that first ayahuasca experience started shifting that game, even though I didn't know it at the time. But yeah, so, and uh, you know, I, I guess one other thing I'd like to say about the historical aspect of all this is I'm gonna, I'm just gonna like loop it through to what, how it got me where I'm at right now, which is I didn't touch psychedelics until, like I didn't really get back into them until I was living in LA. Um, and that, you know, maybe eight, nine years ago, I found people 
who were working with psychedelics intentionally. I had to like follow this breadcrumb. I, you know, I was tracking down ayahuasca again, like being like, well, where, where's the ayahuasca? I feel like it's calling, even though it feels terrible and I don't like what it does for me. I think it's calling. And I tracked it down and found some people mindfully using it. And at the same time I was shifting from trying to make it with uh, music videos and short films, which weren't really taking off into shooting documentaries. And so while I was shooting documentaries, I was getting into this group that was working with psychedelics intentionally, and there was a lot of therapists involved, and I started having breakthroughs, finally. It took me, again, a couple years to like get through some of the hard stuff, but they were I was being encouraged, and people were like, you know, the hard stuff is your body releasing a lot of the tension that you've held, a lot of the stress and cortisol and all the, the you know, symptoms of PTSD, where your whole system is rigid in protection mode, the psychedelics are starting to unwind that and unpack it. And so with their, with that support, um, I, I, and with my documentary filmmaking, you know, I started having profound journeys and I started realizing, dude, I need to record these journeys. Uh, the world needs to know, you know, this was like 2016 and 17. And I was hit with that epiphany during a journey that I should start recording and tracking all of it. And so that's what I've been doing. I've been filming all my journeys. I created a documentary series. It's called The Healing Powers of Psychedelics and Other Mindful Practice that's now streaming on Gaia TV. Um, and I'm also finally in the post-production process of this documentary uh, that I that I've been filming for the like, you know, first five six years of my deep healing journey. I like I thought ayahuasca didn't work for me. Um, my whole life was this like string of like failure to thrive. Like nothing was ever really taking off, and I um, and I finally had a massive like shift when I went to Peru found shamans who were working, uh, who, who, who sat with me and they were like, oh, you have this condition called pulsario, a pocket of negative air and energy, the result of undigested traumas. This is like pocket here in my gut. This is the reason the medicine wasn't giving me mind breakthroughs because it was moving through all this trauma very slowly in a way that didn't, you know, I couldn't register it, but I documented the whole thing. And in hindsight, I'm like, I'm so uh, in gratitude and I really honor this mes this medicine and how it works and I'm really glad that my gut was like keep going keep going keep pursuing like even though it feels terrible and you feel like you're dying and you have food poisoning there's something here for you and um, yeah and now it's on film and I'm really excited we're cutting together a trailer we're gonna be raising money to to um, to get the whole thing out but it is quite a magical adventure and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to share. Yeah, and I've been following some of your other work that you've done through Lucid News, who I've been very fortunate to recently start writing for. And one of the interviews that I saw you do, which I think was with Lucid, was with Victor Mifsud, who I'm fascinated by his story, The Blind Biohacker, and you did an interview with him. So it's just kind of fun when I'm researching and just kind of zooming through the psychedelic media ecosystem, seeing familiar faces and getting to follow some of your work. But let's talk about how did you get started with Lucid News? Because quite frankly... I kind of come to this space as an outsider and I've been an advocate and personally using psychedelics for many years, but you know, I come from San Diego and I'm from the South of San Diego and in my community, psychedelics were very much a beer pong type thing. You take them at a party, right? It's like you go to the beach with a bunch of people. 
I didn't know a single person who was like actually using psychedelics for therapeutic value. That's changed now. This is quite a few years ago. So I felt like, you know, over the years, it was tough for me to kind of find that sense of community. And now all of a sudden I'm learning like there is a really robust community and there's people, there's Envision Festival and there's Lucid News out in New York City. And just like I'm learning all this in the last couple of years. How did you first get connected with the people from Lucid and how did that whole incredible project come about? <laughs> yay. Uh, let's see. First of all, Victor Muth said, yay, he's an amazing human being who, um, what a great story. He has been, M MDMA, I believe, really helped him with uh, um, making progress, correcting his his vision. And he's been legally blind. And I know he's, he's, he's this amazing biohacker who's been really learning how to do that. Just for anyone else who wants to explore his story, please check it out. Um, it is on Lucid News. And I believe you did a podcast with him too. Is that right? Amazing. Epic. Epic. Yeah. Um, how this got started, you know, so I, um, I was shooting my documentary, The Healing Powers. I, I went to uh, the MAPS conference. It was my first MAPS conference. And I ran into Mike Margolis, who at the time was with Symposia. And um, him and I became friends. Uh, he invited me to come out to Crypto Psychedelic to shoot some of uh, this amazing conference that happened where they were bringing cryptocurrency people with psychedelic people together and to find the common ground, which is a lot of decentralized um, magic. And, and so I started to get to know everybody. I started meeting people and also just recognizing, like, I want to help this. This space is so important to me. The work that is being done is so important to me. You know, we are both celebrating and exploring consciousness and playing with psychedelics the way I, I was kind of as a raver when I was, you know, 18 years old. But we're doing it consciously now and we're doing it to heal at the same time, you know. And, and all these things are coming all together in this beautiful swirl. And so I just started getting involved in actually psychedelic storytelling at the conferences. I was helping him. I helped co-host something at Boomfest in Portugal um, and started speaking on panels more and started getting involved in the community. And what I saw was a lack of, um, of, of uh, meetings happening to bring leaders together in the space. So I founded this thing called Psychedelic Leadership Summit where uh, we break together leaders in the space and we did one at Boomfest, we did one uh, I did one at breaking conventions with the with support of other psychedelic society leaders, also in Horizons for multiple years, and um, and it just was taking off and it was bringing together you know everybody in the psychedelic space, especially before 2020. You know people are working and it's quiet. There's prohibition. It wasn't nearly as legitimized as it is now. The studies hadn't come out yet and it was not mainstream and so Michael Pollan's book wasn't out none of this was happening and everybody's working in their little silos not able to talk together and you know there's a lot of shared problems so people were getting together um, and and these psychedelic leadership summits were awesome which by the way we're going to organize one um, coming up here for the MAPS conference so for any leaders who want to get involved meet other leaders put our brains together build more community and more um, webbing to like you know help sort of birth this psychedelic movement um, you know follow the psychedelic leadership summit it's on Facebook and or to follow me um, but <clears throat> so I I threw this event and I met Ken Jordan who previously was a co-founder of Evolver and Reality Sandwich and him and I hit it off and we both saw this need for more organization more more cohesive uh, we, for a need for news and you know more uh, just to to send to create a bridge between all these different communities with news as the foremost 
purpose. And so we co-founded Lucid News with Annie Oak and Faye Sagittarius. Oh, I can never say her last name. I'm sorry, Faye. Um, and and you know some other pe people who had worked with Ken at uh, Evolver and Reality Sandwich. And so it all started 2019 at uh, Psychedelic Leadership Summit slash Horizons and has been an absolute joy. Yeah, and I really enjoyed connecting with you all in New York City at that extraordinary apartment with all the black light art. It's just such a funky space. I'm sure at least a few people in the audience know what I'm talking about. And I hope to be back next year. And I'd be curious to hear about kind of what you're working on next. You mentioned the Psychedelic Leadership Summit, right? You've got uh, a scheduled event at the MAPS conference. Is that a rolling, ongoing basis that just kind of appears as needed, like depending on the conference or whatever? Or, you know, is there a scheduled sort of rollout of when that event happens? Oh, it's funny. It actually came to be on the dance floor. Okay. Like every time it happens, it's usually like you're just brainstorming with somebody at a conference or on the dance floor at Envision or at Burning Man or wherever. And I was um, hanging out with Del from Unlimited Sciences, who's a dear friend. And the two of us were brainstorming and we're like uh, just talking about a need for bringing this, bringing more connection and how we can all be working together to help move things forward. Like, again, there's just not, I, I just continue to see over and over, I want more connection, more community, more, like, opportunities to have real conversations. Rather than leaving it to those random moments, what happens when we do almost like speed dating, speed networking sort of things where everybody gets to meet each other and tune in deeply on, on actual, like, real issues and, and build friendships. So uh, we were talking about it, and we're, and so in this case... I'd almost, almost, almost set it aside because storytelling has become such a deep, deep, deep passion of mine. Like this is, I, I feel like it has such a driving force and is going to is such a fun way of looking at healing. Um, that 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 is almost just you know my big number one, lucid number two. But because there's other people who are like, oh, we want to help you. We can help you, and it won't be all on your shoulders. We'll work on it together. It'll be this beautiful thing. And so by that purpose, in the last three, four days, we're like, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. I think Mike Margolis will probably – there'll be some collaboration there too. So, um, yeah, it, it happens when it needs to happen. If if the network and the if we start building it together and I find that we have the right team that regularly wants to put it forth, then I like to do it before or after every big uh, conference that happens internationally. It is just an extraordinary joy to meet. The, the psychedelic community is the coolest community ever. Everyone feels like instant family. Um, there's such a, uh, a brilliance when you have explored the other realms and the, the fabric of reality and healing and when you have that common uh, ground as as conversation and that's what means what's important as above so below if you want to get down and talk about that then you're like family and so this is a great way to connect everybody together and help build together i couldn't agree more i've met plenty of people i just did a podcast before this with someone who i've only recently known and we just have a great rapport there's something about like oh you've been there we could talk about it we can share experiences and it's a wonderful lens to approach community and a friendship through and along those lines there's so much positivity so much momentum it's confounded me, to be honest, to see where psychedelics are now as a public conversation piece. You mentioned previously, like, things were underground. And that's part of why I was not connected to a community, as I was very siloed off in an upper middle class, very religious upbringing of sports and school and scholastics, etc. 
where psychedelics didn't fit into that framework. And now it's fascinating to go back into those communities when I go back to my hometown and hang out with my old friends. And even the most straight-laced, like, Catholic lawyers and people are interested in microdosing or asking me questions. Where, you know, like 10 years ago, it was like a kind of a, a open secret. You know, there were little pockets. L.A., maybe New York City, San Francisco, psychedelic culture existed. But, like, it's just crazy to, he- to see how penetrated it's gotten into the mainstream. And along those lines... Are there any blind spots that you see? Are there any blind spots in this mainstreaming of psychedelics that you think need to be addressed? I mean, it's something that I hear from a lot of people. One of the ones that comes up for me is this sort of American, North American, European centricity, which, right, a lot of the studies that we talk about, the psychedelic renaissance is quite focused in a lot of ways, like in North America and Europe. And that's a conversation I just recently had about somebody who says, we want more Spanish content. Like, what about the psychedelic ecosystem of, you know, Spanish influencers? And and I think that's starting to develop, but it's very much in its infancy, at least as far as it goes into, like, being a part of those cultures at a broader scale, like where the politicians and the, you know, the old school societies talking about it. But are there any, like, blind spots that you see that you really want to help, like, develop storytelling around to help, you know, normalize and kind of approach head on? I mean, let's see, there's a handful I could mention. Um, first of all, Iker, there's a, a, um, an author and scholar, hold on, let me see if I can find his, uh, when it comes to Spanish speaking folks who are, are creating content for the psychedelic community. Um, I have a friend, his name is, I'm trying uh, Iker Puente. And he's writing books that are um, designed to for the Spanish, and he's like translating a lot of the studies uh, to help folks. So if you are a Spanish-speaking person, <laughs> and somehow we translate this for you to listen to, Iker Puente is a person to follow. Um, I think his book is coming out soon. Um, blind spots, yeah, you know, I mean, in the prohibition era, we have no Yelp, we have no really easy, transparent way to verify practitioners. And there's a lot of practitioners, you know, there's no proper certification system. These things are being developed. These things are coming slowly to fruition and certification boards that are being vetted by the community that are deciding on some criteria that will determine whether um, a person is qualified to be a practitioner, you know, and there's big questions of like, what about the people who have been working underground for, you know, 40 years, you know, that are 60 plus years old who are amazing and so experienced, and they're not like going to want to take a year long practitioner training program for something that's like the ABCs for them, you know? Um, you know, there's a, so anyway, there's just this really interesting ecosystem that's being developed of while and while we're in prohibition before it's fully developed there's a question of hey i'm new to this space i want to find a practitioner i met some dude who says he's an ayahuasca dude but i don't know anyone who sat with him and i have no idea how to find out whether he's actually good has he really done enough work or is he new on his path you know these are things you need to know because psychedelics are like psychic surgery and if there's somebody who still has trauma in their own system and they're working with you and providing medicine to you there's a very good chance they might not be able to work in full integrity because they themselves have not cleared themselves out they are doing their best but that doesn't mean um, you know that, that their best is great for you so so this is a big blind spot in the psychedelic space that prohibition is is you know responsible for and so you know that that that's definitely something I can see a lot of movement happening for and then the other blind spot I think is 
what does it mean to be doing the work? You know, the psychedelic space, um, there's this idea of like, you know, actually, can I ask you, what does it mean to you to be doing the work? I'm curious. Ooh, it just feels like a, I, I just love doing satire at this point. So I can think of like doing the work is just like somebody who's like lifting weights while they're in the Maloka down in the Amazon or something. But I don't know, for me, uh, a big part of it is just kind of learning how to not take yourself so seriously and to know that your perspective of things is very important, but it's not the only perspective. So for me, a lot of my work comes with like clearing these sort of programming, social conditioning that you mentioned, where I have certain perceptions about myself. So when I go into a psychedelic experience, I'm often saying, help me to approach a situation in my life or my whole life's work from a more uh, panopolistic perspective and not from such a narrow, you know, socially programmed perspective. That's for me what's doing the work. It's like, let me empathize with other people and recognize that maybe I don't know everything and I might have little slivers that I understand, but I have to have humility when I'm approaching that. Epic. Great answer. Great, great answer. And I think so many, you know, I mean, I just feel like um, some people are like, do the work. Oh, like sit with the medicine once a month, right? Like I actually have to sit with it because, you know, I mean, there's a lot of like new people. I mean, I've seen it in your satire, right? Like one of your biggest pieces of advice are like, please sit with the medicine. If you are actually sitting here and like in the industry and you're, you're like making money off of it, like get get to know it. Um, You know, and I I just like to, I I like to invite a deeper knowing and even just more of a conversation. For me, when I say doing the work, I think it is, it's really about, like you said, making your program, becoming conscious of your unconscious programming, becoming conscious of the shadow. And the shadow is, it's just another word for your, your programming, you know? And it's like, like I said, we all inherit whatever our caregivers believe. And if it's, there's not enough money and we have to work really hard or you're not good enough or whatever the story is that comes from, you know, maybe being the last born child and your parents didn't have enough attention to be with you enough and you felt like ignored a lot, you know, you felt not seen, you come up with a story, I'm not good enough. And if you live your life through that lens, you are constantly recreating it. And so doing the work is becoming aware that that's a lens that you have. Um, And so for me, I'm just really a fan of of promoting this idea of, um, I like to call it celebrating the healing journey. Because I, I know I said I called it doing the work, but I also feel like it's the game. We are playing a game of life. And the game of life is to become sovereign and independent of all the old stories, of all the old conditioning, so that you're no longer living your life in this fear and like needing to prove that you're good enough, that you've actually learned that that was an old story and that you are good enough and you've learned how to be the parent for yourself that your parents couldn't be for you. You know, you learn how to fill the holes that your own childhood never had met, your own needs that were never met, and learn how to uh, recognize those programming so they don't run you. You know, I mean, I think that's where the world falls out of balance. So I, I think it's a game um, and that it is really quite the most extraordinary game because as we do the work, as we unpack all these old stories, life just keeps unfolding and flourishing and blossoming and becoming more and more awesome. And um, the work we do when we are in this more awesome place is more impactful. We are more effective as human beings. We are no longer contributing to old systems that don't serve. We are able to, we are empowered and fueled to create new systems that do. So um, yeah, sounds like you're doing a great job doing the work. 
Thanks, Dennis. Yeah, you know, one of my, my pleasure. Thank you, Marisa. One of my like recurring insights from psychedelic journeys is just a sense of gratitude. You hear people talk about having gratitude, but really being able to own that and feel like, wow, we are really lucky. Like trauma happens to everyone. Bullshit happens to everyone. Some people more so than others. But at the end of the day, like just the fact that many of us are able to have these experiences and and connect with this sense of oneness that's a little bit beyond whatever difficult conditioning that has come our way for me is just something to be infinitely grateful for and i you know i I, like to get to have this conversation right now this is awesome i think that's a recurring thing you see in the psychedelic community too is people who are just kind of stoked for no reason it's like do we need a reason to be stoked like we're here we have life is an opportunity as you said it's a game and i think that's also a key takeaway for a lot of people is like Maybe I have these very rigidly controlled meta narratives that I've been, you know, on my little track chasing the cheese or whatever, you know, but does it have to be that way? Or can we just kind of be stoked just for the fact that we have an opportunity to decide for ourselves who we are? And I think that's where storytelling comes in. It's like the more storytelling you learn about it, the more you realize like, wow, I can kind of write some of my own story here, right? And I can certainly respond to things a certain way. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond to it a lot of the time. So these are obviously skill sets that are easier said than done. But I think uh, people who approach psychedelics with the lens of, of gratitude and saying, okay, I'm here to learn, that's a, a pretty key takeaway. It's like, hey, life is malleable. You can change your circumstances. You can create things. And, and that is one of the central tropes or themes of the satire I'm, I'm doing is the more I come to these events in the, quote, psychedelic industry or the space, I meet people who are getting involved in the space and I have asked several people point blank if they have psychedelic experience and they don't necessarily always have it because, you know, psychedelics have been identified as an emerging market. They really have been. And I've had a couple of conversations even this week with people who are organizing large events and psychedelics are going to be one of the tracks and they're putting them next to crypto and NFTs. And that's all well and good. But when I, you know, these people admittedly tell me we have no knowledge of psychedelics, but you're including them on your, you know, on your event. Like, I think you guys should probably just have a psychedelic experience and maybe, maybe spoiler, it's awesome. Maybe you're going to love it and it's going to be great. So I, I would hope so. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, to, to your earlier point, you know, I mean, I, this is so much about recontextualizing, like the worst things that have happened to us. And, and this idea of like, what if they are the puzzle pieces or the building blocks our soul chose to recognize how strong we are? You know, and this idea of reframing it and how much that's an important part of this. This is really what psychedelics are doing. They're helping us shift our perspective to our, our pain so that we can recognize, holy, holy shit, that pain helped make me really strong. That pain built a lot of resilience in me. That pain built strength that I now can use to fuel other things. Yeah, so I just wanted to like throw that piece in there. Um, it's it's really delightful to watch it happen, and I'm so glad you are like helping bring this out to the investors and the people who are like, yeah, emerging market, emerging market, and profit, blah blah blah. But like, dudes, let's do the work and let's see what this is really about because from that place, this can unfold in a much more effective, beautiful way that actually you know has mental health at the forefront of it. And along those lines, I think people who do the work and who sit with psychedelics or or pursue that path, a lot of us reframe our understanding of value. Like once upon a time, I thought that the almighty dollar was the ultimate unit of value. And I'm not disavowing the importance of having, you know, some some means, but 
I think we start to appreciate value as being much broader and like thinking about, you know, the community impact and about your mental well-being and like this idea that uh, I think a very common recurring theme, too, is like people who have a psychedelic experience start to question the rat race and start to, you know, question this idea of do I want to trade 50 hours a week of a traditional lifestyle? And I'm not, you know, knocking people who want to do that, but it is pretty common when you go through a psychedelic experience, you start to reframe and reorientate your relationship to what actual value is. And like for me, I was certainly looking for like, how can I get out of working full time for someone else? You know, that, I never had like a macro dose and was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to go, you know, continue to be put in my pretty narrow box like you're thinking about hey i want to go to costa rica i want to go to this festival in spain i want to meet these people i want to go to this concert how can i free myself up to do these things and so you know it's an ongoing path i certainly don't claim to have all the answers but psychedelics played a huge role in me redefining what value means to me and i've often said this to people like i'd rather make you know thirty thousand dollars a year with a ton of free time than a hundred and thirty thousand dollars a year punching the clock 12 hours a day. And, you know, not everyone feels that way, but I'd, I'd much rather do that. And I have done that to a lot of degrees. So we're kind of hitting the sweet spot here, Marisa. But like, you know, w w let's let's say our, our parting shot. What are some things coming up for you? You know, we visited a few of your offerings, but maybe we can give some tangible details for how people can connect with you, you know, when these events are unfolding and, and you know, what do you got for the audience as a parting shot? Awesome. Yay. Such a pleasure. Um, so... I'm offering Psychedelics and the Story, which is a workshop on how to work with psychedelics as earlier described with Nectara, which is a really beautiful online community that's really providing support for folks that are coming out of medicine work and wanting to connect with community when they don't have it and also helping prepare them for psychedelic journeys. So that's at nectara.org or .com. We'll put it in the links, I'm sure, below. Um, and, and then I'm also... I've got two other big projects that I haven't mentioned yet. One is I'm writing a play, a one-woman show about healing trauma because it has been the most amazing adventure and I really want to help get that out in the world. And lastly, my big thing that we're working on and might either come in 24 or 25, but hopefully 24, um, we're bringing the Sphinxes from the never-ending story, the 80s movie, um, to Burning Man. And it is, it is coming as a quest to help people better know themselves. And only those who truly know themselves um, will be invited to walk through the Sphinx and we're gonna create a series of like experiential stations that are interactive, that invite people to connect to their their thoughts and their beliefs. We're invited to connect to their somatic, their havingness and their body, how they store their beliefs and to connect to their heart. And once they do that, they'll be able to invite, walk through these two six story tall Sphinxes that shoot lasers from their eyes and they're going to um, yeah have a whole transformative crazy experience. So if you know the movie, you're likely freaking out because this is one of the most epic meta films ever from the 80s, fantasy films, and this scene is really delightful. So I'm really passionate to bring that out. Um, and I think we're, we have, yeah, probably a good way to track that is at the thesphinxgate.com um, or on Instagram, we're at the, uh, the Sphinx Gate. And, and then to follow me um, to learn more about my storytelling workshops, I also offer them outside of the container of psychedelics for, for creatives, much more with the, and actually for people in the psychedelic community. If you want to learn how to tell your psychedelic story in a magical, succinct way, I work with people over the course of two months and teach them how to uh, take 
and distill all their life stories into the most engaging version of their story that is five to ten minutes long and um, ready to present on a panel or a podcast or wherever. And uh, cohesive, it's like the fuel for whatever your new missions are on, uh, new missions in work are. So, yeah, that's... That's everything. <laughs> There's a lot of things. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us, Marisa Sturtz. You're always welcome on the Micropreneur Podcast. And looking forward to connecting with you at one of these upcoming events, hopefully in Denver. Yay. Uh, I, forgot, I don't think I mentioned my website. Yourstoryiseverything.com. That's it. <laughs> and Instagram, Marisa Sturtz. All righty. Thanks, Marisa. Peace. Yeah. You're amazing. Thank you so much, Dennis. Yay. Peace. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, mycopreneur at gmail.com. Or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Micopreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Micopreneur Podcast.